Welcome to the Makeshift CMO, a startup marketing podcast for founders and early stage company teams. All right, gang, welcome to this edition of the Makeshift CMO. I am joined today by Lauren Lord, who is a senior lifecycle marketing manager at League. Uh, previously, she worked at Top Hat, uh, Edge Interactive, and like me, had a stint in PR. Uh, Lauren and I are extremely good at, ex- at scheduling this podcast. Uh, we're only one for six, but uh, sometimes that's, that's good enough. So... Um, Yeah, Lauren is all about building incredible customer journeys and uh, for the next 40 minutes, teaching us about life cycle marketing, not lifestyle marketing, like I mistakenly said. Uh, We are lucky to have Lauren on. Uh, Lauren, how are you doing today? I am great. Honestly, I will say, I'll admit, I'm doing a juice cleanse today. (laughs) Okay. I'm I'm a little like not in my usual state, but... I'm definitely here and happy to answer all of your questions about life cycle it's, marketing. <laughs> it's okay. I actually did a I did a fast myself yesterday, and uh, it uh, it honestly kind of get used to it. I I uh, ate like a massive meal the day before at like seven, and then I held, I was able to hold out until six. Uh, I don't know how I got through work, but it it, it happens. Um, yeah, you do get used to it, but it's good to have that reset. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So, Lauren, why don't you tell the audience about how you got into the specific world of lifecycle marketing? All right, that's a great question. So, like you had mentioned, did a small stint in PR. I basically finished university, so I, I guess some context would be helpful. So, I studied journalism at the at Ryerson University, which is now the Toronto Metropolitan University. Um, and I liked what I was doing. I just knew that probably wasn't a good path to like making money <laughs> in the longer term, or at least at the very start, you basically have to work at that time, you had to kind of work like a year to two years unpaid before you could really get your foot in the door working in journalism. So that just wasn't gonna float for me. So I went traveling for a bit, came back, did some PR, realized that that also was not for me, but I knew I really liked creating like digital experiences, getting in front of people um, in a way that makes sense to them digitally. And so to me, I kind of took that and from my experience in PR, I was like, okay, marketing is probably a better fit for me. Like taking the communication side and merging it with business is what I was looking to do. So um, that wound me up in a small, education technology company called Edge Interactive. They run websites like School Finder and Scholarships Canada. And so I worked there for a bit, just kind of getting my toes wet and everything digital marketing. So it was a good a good next step. And then from there, I was really looking to expand my career more, looking to uh, just join a bigger marketing team to really get more experience. And so um, I had a friend that was working at Top Hat at the time. I saw that there was a job available. Initially, it was an email marketing uh, specialist position. And so I'd done a lot of email working at my previous job. And so thought that that might be a good next step. So reached out. Um, anyway, started working at Top Hat. And then Lifecycle didn't really become a thing, I would say, until about a year and a half until after I started at Top Hat. 
uh, it kind of became this buzzword, which is more encompassing than all of just what email marketing is or like digital channels. Really lifecycle marketing is a mix of omni-channel uh, depending on what channels make sense for your business. And so that's kind of how I landed in lifecycle marketing, but I eventually built kind of like the lifecycle marketing structure at Top Hat and really got that, that, that sort of overall like program going. So yeah, that's how it all started. Awesome. That's, uh, that's amazing. I, I love hearing everybody's background um, story. So I'd say five year, five ish years of your career has been spent in the uh, education space. Uh, was that by accident or was that uh, intentional that you wanted to create these story digital experiences for whether it's educators or students or whomever was your audience at the time? Yeah, to be honest, when I was initially looking for like my, to get my feet wet in digital marketing, I wasn't necessarily so much worried about industry, but more so looking to just get a, you know, find a role that was really going to teach me a lot about digital marketing and that mm -hmm. just ended up to be edge. Then I kind of got into the, I got into the education space and I enjoyed it. Um, but now I'm in healthcare. And so, you know, I think, I think as a marketer, you need to be fluid. I mean, there's certain industries I think that are going to resonate with certain people more than others. And I always think that being mission driven is really important in your business. Like you have to believe in the mission and the overall goals and objectives of what your company is trying to accomplish, I would say, to really to be successful. Um, and so I could definitely get behind a lot of what I was doing in education. I think it's important in making sure that, you know, students are finding, you know, the right university for them or whether it's making sure that professors can uh, really engage students in their in their classroom. And so um, those were all missions that I stood behind. And so I wouldn't say so much that it was like the education piece in its entirety, but really finding missions that I was able to relate to. Speaking of missions, every marketer is synonymous with another M word, which is metrics. So um, lifecycle marketing probably equals metrics. Tell me a little bit about the uh, KPIs, OKRs, metrics, whatever you want to call them, that you, the life cycle marketer, live and breathe, probably have nightmares about? <laughs> That's a great question. I, and again, this is sort of like the boring answer that everyone will say, but again, it really depends. It depends on the business that you're working for. It depends on the structure of the business. It depends, are you being more focused on the acquisition side? Or are you more focused on like the customer retention side? Um, at Top Hat, I was very heavily focused on like the growth demand gen um, side of the business at first, and then we expanded that to also encompass customer retention, win back, and that kind of thing. So again, different metrics within both of those. And then now that I'm more on the app user side of things and creating lifecycle experiences in that realm, again, the metrics, again, are very different. And because of the, the place, like the area that we're playing in. Right now, a lot of the metrics that I'm very focused on have to do with things that are tied to like overall app usage. So what do our monthly active users look like? Um, how many users are enrolling in the features and doing the things in the app that we need them to do that we know is gonna lead them to be more or better or higher retained, <laughs> if that makes sense. So again, it's one of those annoying answers where it really depends, but the way that I can kind of like break it down simplistically is like you have your engagement metrics, which are how users are engaging with your channels. So whether it's email, push notification, SMS, digital ads, whatever it might be, 
all of those have their own like set of metrics and KPIs that you need to look at just for understanding the overall health of the campaigns that you're running. And then you'll have your, your more like North Star bigger KPIs that those end up feeding into. So for example, if we're looking to drive monthly active users, which is a core focus for us right now, it's making sure that the campaigns that you're driving are effective and that they're also causing users to take action and convert to the things that you need them to do an app to contribute to that monthly active user number. You mentioned at the beginning you were more focused on demand um, acquisition. Uh, was that uh, when you were more focused on on email in the lifecycle chain or? Uh, yeah, I would say email was definitely the bread and butter for that particular role and time. I would also say, yeah, definitely primarily, primarily email. Um, we expanded to some other channels as well, including uh, like in-app messaging. And again, it really just depends on what your product is and how people use it and what, what channels make sense to reach them, obviously, as any marketer knows. So that's, uh, yeah, yeah, primarily email. For sure, for sure. Um, how does a lifecycle marketing manager, uh, you mentioned going to bigger teams to, to get more experience. Um, I don't think anybody would think that uh, lifecycle marketing works in a vacuum. Talk to me a little bit about how, uh, when you got into those teams, you work with other members of the marketing team and even beyond that in order to drive those metrics dependent as they are. Yeah, it's a good question as well. So I would say the reason, so I think for a lot of marketers, and maybe this isn't the case, but this was my case. And I know this was a few other people's experiences that I know of is that when you start in a small company, you're doing a lot of things. You may not be doing them very well, but you're doing a lot of things. You're getting your hands wet. You're getting a feel for what you enjoy, which is really important. And for what you don't enjoy, I often say that like knowing what you don't like is as, as important as knowing what you do like. So from there, you can kind of start to, you know, identify like, okay, like what parts of marketing do I like? What parts of marketing do I not like? And I think as any marketer knows, their marketing has a lot of different facets to it. There's a lot of different lanes that feed up into, you know, the overall marketing structure of many businesses. And so finding that you're where you want to fit into that overall piece is super important. So the reason I initially wanted to find a bigger team is, okay, so I was doing a lot of different things, perhaps like, okay, but I really wanted to like, really get deep into one area of marketing and learn a lot about it so I could become an expert in that space. So that's why I made the jump to a bigger marketing team. And then of course you have other marketers around you that help to build your knowledge and what you're doing, which is also super important, learning from others. So from there, honestly at Top Hat, I was the, I was the first, I was the only email marketer. So at the start I was writing all the copy, planning what all the creative was going to be building and executing all the emails, doing all the reporting, like I was doing every facet of like email marketing on my own. As the team grew and expanded, that started to change where other people were responsible for helping me write the copy. I had designers doing the design for me, etc. And that's very similar to the same setup um, at League today where we have a brand and creative team that really supports us with all of the creative aspects. I mean, lifecycle teams can be structured very differently depending on the size of the company. I know at Shopify, for example, they have teams that are literally dedicated to one portion of the funnel and that is all they do. Um, and so again, really depends on the size of the business, 
what your focuses are, and honestly, the work that you want to take on yourself. Some people like to do a mix of everything. Some people like to be a little bit hands-off with the creative and just own the strategy. So yeah, really just depends, I would say. Oh, I was on mute. Uh, no worries. Uh, that's that's uh, that's a very good perspective on it, and the and a good case for being uh, a specialist. Uh, speaking of specialist and just one uh, thing, is there? <laughs> this is a geeky thing, but is there? Is was there one email at any point in your career where it just crushed it? Like there was like I was like you're like man those that open rate just absolutely destroyed it uh you know it got a lot of uh, it got a lot of conversions is there something um that you were able to create in in your career that you look back and you're like that was a highlight laying the hard questions on me here bruce <laughs> um, <laughs> honestly as you were asking that i was like digging into the brain banks so there was like one specific I can't think of a specific email. I think there's definitely been like campaigns that I've ran that have definitely outperformed others and where it's been like, oh, the results from this are actually really exciting. What's interesting actually, so again, too, depending on what business you're in, what industry you're in, all that kind of stuff, like your baseline, your benchmark metrics are really going to be different. Like from, you know, from Top Hat to League, for example, like our open rates are like double that of what we were doing at Top Hat, but that's just in line with kind of like the industry. And so I'm, you know, starting here, I was like, oh crap, like everything's doing super well. Like this is amazing. But then you start, you start to learn that like those small little tweaks are actually like going to make that difference versus kind of like looking at the overall baseline, if, if that makes sense. So, so I'm really not answering your question. I'm kind of like, no worries. No here. worries. Why don't What's, we could. Yeah. I honestly can't think of anything like specifically in particular, but it was like, bam, like this one thing was amazing. I'm sure there were, there was definitely some stuff at Top Hat or like it came back and we're like, wow, that's super cool how that did. But I honestly can't remember. No um, worries. Uh, why don't you t tell um, everyone out there, whether they're, you know, marketers uh, who are solo at a startup or, you know, a founder who's trying to moonlight as a, as a marketer, what's your approach to um, running tests um, in your lifecycle marketing? So A-B testing, like, you know, uh, it it, uh, it doesn't have to depend on a product, just sort of like your mindset and your methodology to, okay, um, we're, we're going to start this campaign. Uh, how are we going to, you know, hypothesize and drill down to what we really need? Great question. I also love that you asked this question because I testing is probably one of my the favorite parts about my job. Like, you know, you're almost kind of like a scientist, like figuring out right yeah marketing, which which I really love. It's super interesting. So yeah, approach to testing. The way that I tend to like to look at testing, and I think what's also really important, which I'll say up front, is like it's always really good to have a structured framework and approach to how you want to test things. That's the only way that you're really going to be able to like test, but then also to learn. Because it's really easy for a lot of teams to run a lot of A-B tests, but like, how are you capturing those results? How are you making sure that you're learning from what you've done in the past? And how do you 
how do you move forward from that? I think it's really easy, especially as teams are growing, new people are coming on, people are leaving. How do you make sure that those learnings hold consistent so that you're not doing what you've done in the past? So that's super important. So I'll just say that up front. So from a testing perspective, I like to look at testing in, in two ways. I look at it as macro testing and as micro testing. So your macro tests are more things that are like, what are your proofs of concept? What are your tests that you want to run just to understand, like, do people react to this or do they not? Like the types of things that are going to help you to move your strategy forward um, in a different way. Or if you want to test adding like new promotional things to your toolkit, for example, what are the types of tests that you'd run to do that? So that's what, that's how I think about macro testing. On the micro testing side of things, that's really kind of like your smaller optimizations, but they can actually make a really big difference in your overall results. So that's things like your subject line testing, your, you know, CTA button testing, are you using buttons? Are you using underlined links? <laughs> what copy are you using for your buttons? Like all of those small micro tests actually really add up over a long period of time once you've done a lot of them and you can really take a campaign from performing, you know, maybe below benchmark and how do you actually get it to be um, hit it, like going sky high. So that's one way that I look at testing. Um, yeah. I love how you broke it down into like macro and, and, and micro for sure. Cause I think people tend to just uh, uh, totally get them, totally get them mixed up. Um, like how do you, um, when you're working within the context of a team, um, you're obviously the expert when it comes to uh, the micro and macro tests of, of life, life cycle marketing. Um, one of the most underrated things for a marketer is to communicate uh, their expertise and ideas to um, their boss, uh, the founder, the CEO, um, you know, the product team, the sales team. What's your advice out there for young marketers who um who 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 might run into trouble with that a little bit like they have a they have a marketing perfect methodology in their head um but then somebody else comes in and just kind of tramples them <laughs> so is, is your question around like how to like how to communicate outcomes with different people in the business yes exactly exactly okay. that's a better way of phrasing it yeah so i think yeah, it's a good question. And honestly, I think this is a, it's a skill and it's a skill that you're going to learn and work on over time. And it's only going to get better and better. And again, you know, this was something that I had to learn to be good at in terms of like finding results, communicating insights, and also what is the impact of that? So I would say when it comes to communicating, um, either cross-functionally managing up, managing down, whoever you're communicating with, like really understand your audience and put yourself in their shoes and ask yourself like, what do they need to know from this and what matters to them? That's like the first most important thing for sure. Um, obviously, you know, if you're talking to someone who might be, in, you know, in the exact team or, you know, who's looking at things from a high level, you want to keep it high level for them, but make sure that they really understand the meat. If it's your manager, you might want to, you know, just give them some like, you know, more context as to what's going on and what the next steps are. So I would say, I don't know, my, my advice in that front is really just like understand your audience, keep things concise. What is the what is the core thing that you're trying to communicate and why does it matter? Like you have to make that super clear. I think often people are like, this was the result and that's it. <laughs> so mm -hmm. like, 
why does that matter? What does, what is this result telling us? Where do we go from here? What is the next step? That's always super important. And so um, to the team that I have reporting into me, every time we do like campaign reporting, it's like, okay, this is what you've learned. That's great. But how are we taking that information? And how are we then moving forward? How are we getting better? What are we doing next? I think those are, that's really super important uh, to include. So make sure that you know your numbers, you have the data, you're concise, and you're clear on why it matters. What do you say to the people uh, who say that email marketing is dead? Uh, you've probably heard this a thousand times. Uh, you probably get really annoyed when you hear it. Uh, yeah, this is your floor to tell the people uh, your thoughts on that. Oh, man. Yeah. I just I hear that. I'm just like, I don't know where they're getting this from. <laughs> like, I really don't. Like, if I look at my promotions tab in my Gmail right now, it's packed. Like, every day... And again, it, it depends on what you're signing up to and who has your info and whatnot. But I have like probably 50 emails coming into my promotions tab every day. If email marketing was dead, I wouldn't have <laughs> 50 emails sitting in my inbox every day. So I I honestly am just like, that's just not even, it's just not true. Like it's honestly just not true. Every company I've worked for, email has always been the bread and butter channel. Not because it's like the easiest, well, it's not the easiest to execute on either, but like it's always what has the best engagement in terms of eyeballs, in terms of activity and to driving whatever you're needing people to do. Like even right now at League, so just for some context, I I own, um, not own, but I manage the user engagement marketing for uh, PC Health. So League and Lawball is a partner together to create the PC Health app and I look after the user engagement marketing for PC Health. We are two main channels that we use are email and push notification time and time and time and time and time and time again email almost always outperforms push notifications. And so, yeah, anybody who tells me that email marketing dead, I just, you're just, it's not right. It's not true. <laughs> when, okay, so one piece I wanna uh, sort of riff on, um, email has always been the bread and butter. Um, um, so you mentioned, experimenting with some things like push um have you experimented tell me about some the challenger channels to to email that that you've been trying like like maybe facebook messenger uh, uh there's some buzz about sms tell me a little bit about that yeah i would say because currently the space that i'm playing in is that we are so I'm looking after existing users of an app, right? So email, like email push notification, just they make the most sense. Are we ex trying to explore other channels and seeing what else makes sense to approach users with? Yes, absolutely. So we're actually working with the Law Boss team right now to execute some paid media tasks that we'd love to do. So that would include things like Facebook and Instagram. So running ads through Meta. Um, in addition to that, you know, like SMS has come up, but does I mean, I have very strong feelings about SMS and, you know, there might be people out there that totally disagree, but I think SMS is super invasive. And so the only way I would ever advocate really for the usage of SMS if is in a transactional, uh, is in a transactional way. And so, you know, someone's following up with me about an appointment that I have or, um, you know, a delivery that's coming or something that I'm like, oh, this is actually helpful to my life, then yeah, SMS all the way. But I also have a lot of spam messages that come through to my text in terms of like, oh, we have this offer, this deal on now. And like, I just don't want that on in my text messages. Like that's a safe haven 
for like my homies and my family, right? Like I don't need businesses creeping up into my text messages. So that's how I feel about SMS. Um, but for transactional purposes, I think it's totally appropriate. Um, and then, uh, yeah, from like a paid media perspective, again, it depends too. Like if you're really more focused on top of funnel and you're trying to drive business leads, then like your channel mix is going to differ. Actually, I have a very strong feeling about this one particular <laughs> piece as well. Email marketing, I, I would say from a, the perspective of lead generation and demand generation, I find it super icky. I really don't like it. I think email is way Ooh. more effective as a customer retention tool. So as soon as somebody's bought into your business, lay on the email, cross sell, upsell, make sure that they're seeing the value in whatever you're offering. From a lead gen perspective, it's it works to get business if you have the leads already. If you're you know scrubbing lists, you know buying people's information then you're not, I feel like email really isn't the channel to go with, in my opinion. But if you can actually, in a way that is offering value to people, gather people's email lists. So through a subscription list, you know, you're providing an ebook, you're collecting their emails, and then you're sending out email, then that's totally valid. I think that's a great way to start actually getting customers. But in terms of actually acquiring leads in the first place, um, I would just be careful with email. There's a lot. Also, I would say a lot, a lot of the limitations right now with things like Castle and um, all of those like compliance uh, programs that exist out there um, that like there's a lot of eyeballs on not respecting people's privacy. So uh, what is your favorite email marketing tool? Because there's a thousand out there. You've probably used them all. What's your favorite one to use? I definitely have not used them all. There's a lot of them. I, I really only am super familiar with two. So um, Marketo and then Salesforce Marketing Cloud. Marketing automation tools are kind of like that strange beast because realistically, they're all very similar to each other. They all kind of allow you to do very similar things. It just, it's really all in how they're implemented. So you could, you could have two separate instances of Marketo at two different businesses. And then depending on how they were set up initially, one could be way better than the other. So like there's also that piece to, to be mindful of as well. I personally, like I, I really grew my career using Marketo. And so I think I have like a soft spot for, for Marketo, I would say. Um, although like hate love relationship with, with all of them, I would say. But my thoughts on Marketing Cloud are that it's very powerful, but it also requires a lot of different skill sets. Um, it's not the most user friendly from a marketer's perspective. Like you need technical resources, I would say, to to really execute in marketing cloud in a way that makes sense. So yeah, it really just depends on skill set and what you're looking to achieve. But at the end of the day, they mostly all do the same thing. But I have heard really good things about Braze. I haven't used Braze before, but heard, I've heard great things too. Awesome. Uh, as a marketer, as a person who has um, progressed in their marketing career, um, how do you how do you continuously learn? Whether it's uh, blogs, podcasts, um, everybody has their like favorite uh, podcaster that they, they just like suck information from. Mine's Chris Walker of. 
B2B, like Refine Labs. Um, I'd love to uh, hear from you a little bit about what are your um, sources of inspo and and leveling up. I actually used to listen to a lot more marketing podcasts. It's actually been a while, <laughs> I will say. So I don't have a favorite marketing podcast to share right now. But in terms of like leveling up, I kind of like to I'm I like to look at all different sources of information. Really, like I would say just like articles on Google are probably like the easiest to tap into um, when I'm trying to solve a specific problem or just want to get a pulse for like how are other apps or how are other companies doing a really good job of this and then absorbing that information. I think always looking to other um, companies that are doing things well is a really good way to learn. Honestly, even LinkedIn, like I will reach out to people who are in a similar space or doing something. I'm like, hey, I heard you did this. Like, can you tell me how you did that? Because like, I really want to learn how to do that. And so I would say, honestly, reaching out to your network is another really great way to access information um, that may not be available, you know, in a book or on the Internet. So I would say that books are great. Sorry, I was going to. I was I was kind of hoping you you would say that most people don't say that they they say like they feel the need to like um, you know seem seem sophisticated more than they are and, and say something that they've read or that but some people I love it when people just say I just talk to smart people and they make me smarter so yeah sometimes you just gotta ask for help because like no one knows the answers to everything and plus if you know that someone's done something that you've already done before then why not reach out like I uh, I implemented. Pendo at uh, Top Hat, which is a in-app messaging tool, but also a product behavior analytics tool as well. It's kind of like a two-in-one. And we were evaluating it and implementing it. And I know somebody who had done a similar exercise a couple of years before we were looking into it. And so I reached out to her and I said, hey, you know, what was your experience when you were doing your evaluation? What were your pros and cons for each of these tools? And like, which one did you end up going with? And she honestly sent me a bunch of really helpful resources. She sent me you know, her whole like evaluation spreadsheet and all of this great stuff and even guidelines for how they implemented it. So that was super helpful. So I would honestly, like you're never going to find that in like an ebook or like in an article on the internet. So I would definitely just, yeah, reaching out to people, I think is a super valuable way to get information. For sure. As you continue in your omni-channel marketing journey, um, and for those people who are out there thinking of getting into lifecycle um, like marketing as you progress in your career, what's sort of the, I don't, I don't want to say end game because people's careers don't really ever really end just, but what's sort of the aspirations, the next steps, the, Hey, if you're really uh, kick ass at lifecycle marketing, this is what you could be. Yeah. Um, that's a great question too. I think the way that I like to like, explain life cycle. So I, you know, again, lots of people reach out to me on LinkedIn to learn more about life cycle, or even when I'm talking to like my reports or people that I work with, life cycle marketing is really this interesting um, center point for a few different marketing skills that I personally really enjoy. So you have like the, you have like the creative side, right? You've got like the actual ideation, creation of campaigns, like what's the creative going to be? How's the copy going to play out? Like there's that creative component to it. You then also have like a very strategical component to lifecycle marketing as well, right? Like all of the facets that are like, okay, well, why are we sending this campaign? What is this going to drive? Who is the segment? What is this supposed to do? And really planning the strategy around what it's going to accomplish. 
you then also have like this layer of like technical skills as well, right? So when you're working in a marketing automation tool, you have to be extremely detail oriented. It's very easy to make mistakes. And so you have to not only be detail oriented in how you're setting things up, but also understanding the logic. How are all of the programs that you're running? How are they all working together? And so really understanding the technical aspect of, of your work. And then the last piece I would say, yeah, I would say it's really like a crossways between those three are the main ones, but then also data and reporting actually, I would say is the fourth pillar that really feeds into lifecycle. Like, and with any marketer really like being data informed in what you're doing is, is so very, very important. I honestly don't know how anyone plans any strategies without having data to inform their <laughs> next steps. So love being able to like, look at data sets, pull insights and like plan as well. So those are like really the four key areas of skills, I would say that like feed into lifecycle marketing. And honestly, those four skills are super important. Um, and honestly, anything that you choose to do. So I feel like there's a lot of different avenues from which you can kind of like take your lifecycle marketing career. Some people want to become like more generalized. So for example, for myself, I really love the strategy of lifecycle marketing. So I'm becoming a little bit more generalized in terms of really just focusing on the strategy and then having team members help support me with some of like you know, the technical stuff, the creative work and all that kind of stuff. Um, you can also take it to a place where you can become very specialized. So if you really love working in marketing automation software, like you just love marketing cloud and want to spend your time in there, like you can do that too. <laughs> like you can be someone who's, you know, you can become a marketing operations manager and go from there and really own like the tech stack. Like that's another option as well. So there's a lot of different ways to play in and out of lifecycle marketing, depending on what you enjoy doing. Yeah, uh, and that's a roundabout way of saying uh, it could go a lot of places and uh, it opens up a lot of possibilities. So um, for those who are out there listening to this podcast and they're thinking, okay, there's things like paid, there's things like SEO, um, and, and yes, there's email, but um, you know, and there are some positions that are out there just for just for email, but um, th this is an example of how it can grow into um, something so much um, more than that. Um, you talk about being uh, data driven, uh, which is obviously which has obviously been a buzzword um, uh, for so for, for so long. Um, what are some of the tools and strategies uh that you use on a daily basis to make sure that um, that that's a part of what you do. Yeah. So again, will depend on how your company is structured. If you have a data team to support. So for example, like our data team, we moved from Tableau to Looker. So Looker is kind of like our, our cross company analytics tool, some of which is self-serve, some of which we also need to rely on, on their team, on their help for. Um, so I would say typically the two places I'm playing are like a lot of the data you can pull from marketing cloud, depending on how your, you know, Tableau or Looker, um, instances are set up as well. Hopefully you're reporting from your marketing automation tools feeding into your, those platforms as well. So you have like data, all of your data in one place is really key. Um, and so from there. I mean, honestly, there's like, there is endless data. <laughs> like that's all I can say is that there is endless data. And so it's getting really crisp on, and again, any team needs to do this. It's getting really crisp on 
what are your core priorities? What are the questions that you have that need to be answered so that you can really think about how to act on those core priorities and develop like campaigns and strategies that are going to work at the end of the day. Our company also just implemented Amplitude recently. So I, right before hopping onto this podcast with you, <laughs> I am neck deep and just learning about Amplitude right now, which unlocks a whole other data set that we just have not had available to us. So that's product um, behavior and analytics capabilities. So what are people doing in app? Then, you know, and then depending on their behaviors and what they're doing in app, how can we then segment to them? So there's a lot of different marketing use cases in which you can use a um, product behavior analytics tool for. So super excited to unlock that capability as well. Um, I feel like I'm really going on a roundabout way of answering your <laughs> answering your question. No worries. No worries. I was going to ask you actually, um, uh, I probably should have asked this earlier, but I totally forgot, but you, you sort of revived it. Um, was it? uh was it a crazy tough transition to um because uh, leaks product is an app to um applying all of these same marketing and lifecycle marketing principles but for specifically an app um like for instance uh, you, you know going from uh marketing a product to uh you know something something that you need to be concerned about is you know in-app notifications that is now a channel you now need to monitor it's 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 conversion rates like it's its own beast was that transition um a, a steep learning curve or did you find it fairly natural um given your base knowledge of of, of all marketing that you had learned before yeah so i would say honestly i'll say the transition from so top hat is it's also an app-based platform but like primarily web focused and then moving to you know an app <laughs> in its entirety that's, so that's like what I, yeah that's what i was saying because a lot of a lot of SaaS marketers um the SaaS product is a quote-unquote uh platform which is what mm -hmm. i've been in in most of my career but um then i have friends who are like app marketers like they they market in an ios app I've always wondered about that difference but yeah no, it's, it's a good question so i would say honestly for the most part not a lot of learning challenges moving from like web-based platform to an app I would say honestly what's actually interesting is that in-app messaging was a lot easier on a web-based platform than it is actually in a, in a mobile application there's actually um there's not and we had pendo initially um at league and but that just didn't work out so um, I would actually say most in-app messaging tools work a lot better on for web than they actually do in an app environment. And, you know, someone out there might completely disagree with me. That's just my experience. Um, so like there's some nuances, I, there's definitely nuances. I would say like things like, like even like things like Google analytics tracking stuff like that is a lot easier on the web than it is in mobile. Um, even the way that you're deep, linking to things right like linking to a web page is a lot easier than it is to like create deep links to have people navigate to specific pages with, within an app so there are some small nuances like that do they does it change your kind of like approach to marketing not necessarily it's just kind of like these technical um challenges or limitations that you have to kind of work around fantastic that's that was actually uh, an amazing answer uh, for sure, because I want to talk, I want to say specifically um, for those founders or marketers who are out there 
Um, most marketing podcasts will talk a lot about, you know, uh, the tactics, the, the principles. That's easy. You can read about that anywhere. But um, she made a very good specific point about the difference between deep linking and actual pages on a web page. It's very easy to track for something in Google Analytics when something is just literally the, the slug and the web page. But if it needs to uh, deep link in on, on an app, that can you know present challenges. Um, yeah, uh, that's awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Lauren. Um, once we have burned through the the majority of the time we have, I always like to uh, pivot to some to some to some other types of things. Uh, one question I always uh, one of the recurring questions I ask people on this podcast, uh, since it's so entrepreneurial focused, is um, you know if somebody gave you ten million dollars. Uh, terms are favorable, uh, to start your own, uh, company cause anything. What is it? Uh, what is it? Oh man, Bruce, these questions are so hard. <laughs> I would honestly, that's actually interesting because it's been something that I've been thinking about, about a little bit lately. Like if, you know, money was not a exactly, I like to, it, it's a hard question. It's a hard question, but an eminently hopefully answerable one because it's like hey a big barrier is a way and and uh we've we've had some people say anything from like a company to just i want to start this cause that i'm just like passionate about um so just anything that comes to mind yeah honestly the first thing that kind of comes to mind and my, my partner and i have been toying around with this idea a little bit is i would actually love <laughs> to open so i'm like a, i'm a super outdoorsy person i just oh yeah uh, nature just makes me happy and so I would want to be able to like share that with people and so I'd probably open up some sort of like maybe like you know like retreat like cabins like kind of like a resort but there's like education involved um in terms of like you know just like well-being um maybe learning how to like you know let like sustainability and like those types of things so kind of like a place where you go as like a vacation but like almost kind of like a wellness center <laughs> if that makes any sense um where you could also get educated on like lots of different things that's kind of the first thing that's come to mind you, I've been, like, well, for, well yeah. first of all now now you now it's on now it's on the air it, it's now somebody's gonna bug you like hey when are you doing that because that does sound cool and, I, and i'm pretty sure you could get a community around that um, and then you'll have to uh you'll have to build an email list and then do the yeah. life cycle marketing for it you're gonna you're gonna have to manage people's journeys. It's, you know, they sign up uh, and you know, how long does it take them to get to one of your retreats or whatever it is? It, it's, uh, really? it was, yeah. I, I think it could, it, it could work. Um, but uh, yeah, I, that's, that's fun to hear. I, I'm from Vancouver myself, but I'm not an outdoors person. So everyone always asks me like why I moved here. Cause I'm like, I'm not really an outdoors person. <laughs> <That's> um, <okay. laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, at the end of uh, the makeshift CMO, um, I always my guests have always given me and uh, my small but growing audience, uh, you know, uh, uh, a good amount of their time and people's time these days is, is, is so important and people want to be, you know, intentional about how they spend their time. Um, 
I always like to give people what I like to call the call to action at the end. So whether they want to plug themselves, their business, uh, or again, they want people to donate $5 to Red Cross or whatever, um, I'll, uh, I always like to say, what is it? What, uh, what do you want to shout out at the end uh, of this podcast? I wish I had something like cool to like get people to do. <laughs> I honestly would, first of all, I would say I totally agree about time. I think now, um, so I'm turning 30 this year. So I think, you know, now that I'm like turning 30, I think I've really realized in a, in a lot of ways, time is actually more important than money. I think because time is so limited, right? So I think being really conscious and mindful of what you're doing with your time, how you want to spend your time. And making sure that you're setting boundaries for yourself is super important. So honestly, like, I think my call to action <laughs> to, to, for people would just be to, honestly, I think society is just not is just crazy these days. And I think I think everyone should just honestly, I just ask that people find a way today, this week, to really just take, you know, whether it's like five minutes, you know, an hour to yourself and really be like intentional with how you want to spend that time. Like make sure that you're doing something um, for yourself that like lights you up, brings you joy. You don't have to feel guilty about using that time to, for that thing, but just do it. Cause I think it, it's so easy to get caught up in like our work and our day-to-day -day lives and, you know, cleaning the house, walking the dog, looking after the kids, like, whatever it is. So just really takes that takes a minute or an hour for yourself and just reflect on. Yeah, just ref, take that time to like do something for yourself and just reflect on how things are going and, and where you want them to go. Um, life is short. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. That might be the uh, no, not might. That is the most benevolent answer we've ever had on the makeshift CMO, because like I was just saying, uh, everybody plugs their business. Um, some like, hey, check out this thing, uh, this thing. And they're all noble things. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but that is the first call to action that we have ever had on the podcast. That is literally just, hey, if you're listening to this, uh, book book that 30-minute do not schedule. Book that hour do not schedule um, in your calendar and, and, and take care of yourself or spend that 15 minutes at the start of your day being like, Okay, here are the three things I want to accomplish. And if I accomplish these three things today or five things or whatever today, today is a success. Um, yeah. Uh, before we let you go, Lauren, any any like lasting advice on uh, that that you want to share with the people that, you know, you maybe didn't have the chance to uh, get across here, whether it is through lifecycle marketing or your last great CTA of, you know, taking the time for yourself. Awesome. I'm so glad that you asked because there's actually one thing about Lifecycle that I, I wanted to, to share that I didn't earlier. And I would say at the end of the day, Lifecycle marketing is really about creating, like, at, yeah, obviously you're trying to hit KPIs, you're trying to sell things, et cetera, et cetera. But what you're, what you're ultimately, what you're really trying to do and what your main objective should be is to provide an amazing, valuable experience for users or customers. If you do that, the the KPIs, the money, the revenue, the everything that you're trying to accomplish, it will follow. Provide value, give, do not take. Um, that's really important, I think, when it comes, I think in just marketing in general, like what value can you provide up front 
um, and like give away to people, right? And I think that will come back in spades if you're able to do that well. Hey, uh, people are people. People are not users that are just numbers on a screen. And and ultimately, uh, uh, as marketers, sometimes or, or sales people or however you want to fashion yourself, growth hacker, whatever it is, um, ultimately, uh, uh, you want to end by remembering that you're just trying to create um, something that's an, an enjoyable journey for other people. And if you have those, and if you have that, you're going to have loyal customers, you're going to have the revenue, everyone's going to do well, you're going to get promoted, company's going to grow to $10 billion or whatever. Um, Lauren, it was uh, it was great to have you on. I'm glad we were finally able to do this. Uh, this was a knowledge-packed podcast, uh, and we really thank you for having uh, for coming on. Of course, Bruce. Thanks so much for inviting me. I had a lot of fun talking to you today. Um, and yeah, happy to to chat with anyone if they have any more questions or just want to learn more. I will link Lauren's uh, uh, LinkedIn uh, in case anyone wants to reach out, take Lauren's advice, and be like. Hey, how do I do this email campaign? I'm not very good at it. And and sort of ask Lauren, how did you do it? Uh, so uh, just paying it all around in Ford. Thank you so much, Lauren. Thank you. Stop. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Makeshift CMO. If you want to follow what we're doing to help early stage startups, founders, and marketers subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. 